0: Well, hey, good morning. Um, really good to be here with you. Um, it's just been fun over the last few years. Uh, you know, Glenn and I have just, uh, we our friendship has grown closer over time, uh, shared life experiences with just uh, talking and sharing together. And I want to thank you for being such a great partner in ministry with us. Um, if you weren't at uh, the time I get to present in Sunday school, i encourage you just to watch that um, and, uh, and uh, go back and, and watch that on the website just because I, I talk about just kind of uh, just growth and some of the things that this church has poured into and how that impacts the world, uh, you'll you'll love that. That's absolutely powerful. I also just, I want to echo even before I start the message. I hope you guys caught the difference between complaining and lament. I, I hope you caught that. It's good. I'm glad God used you that way. I really am. Go back and listen to that, guys. Really, really good. Hey, these shoeboxes, how many did you say are here? Is it 50? 50? So, okay, so what's that? 75. 75. Okay, so that, that's harder math for me to figure out here. Um, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you right now. Here's what's really cool. We Over the years, we've tracked, um, like, the numbers and kind of how they play out. Six, roughly 60%, actually, it's a hair over 60%, but 60% of those that receive, not shoeboxes, those that receive gospel opportunities end up going through the greatest journey, which is our discipleship and decision-making process, and they make a decision to follow Jesus. 60%. So I don't know what 60% of 75 is, uh, but whatever that number is, 50 was nice and easy for me. I could be like, that's 30, okay? Um, So, oh, it's 45. I'll just, because you had 50%. Yeah, okay, so 45. So here's the thing. So out of this, this means there are 45 that will make a decision, but that's not actually the real number, because then what we started tracking was, what is the reach beyond that? Because their friends, and their family, and others in their community, did you know churches have been started because of these? Churches have been started in small towns and villages all throughout the world because of a gospel opportunity, because you took time to pray over and put something in there, and it's powerful. And the number that translates out is it's six people actually is the true number out of of the one decision. So, 6 times 45, 240, 250, 270 people. This represents 270 people just taking the averages, making a decision to follow Jesus. I mean, doesn't that seem crazy for packing a shoebox? I mean, I just, I I hear that and I think, wow, that's just an incredible thing to think about, you know, that more than what we do, actually God... God multiplies that. It's that whole idea of the multiplied harvest, how he makes something greater out of what we see just with kind of our own human vision or our own human thought on how things could happen. So anyway, that's, uh, that has nothing to do with anything I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I, I started thinking about today, um, and in introducing this subject, I was thinking about the fact that uh, every single one of us has a style of movie or a style of TV show that we like. Some might say, well, I like drama, or I like action, or I like science fiction, or romance. Um, for me, I like comedy. Love, love, love comedy. I, I just, you know, I love to laugh, laugh hard. I think it's just one of the great gifts God has made for us. And I love to watch, I love to watch new comedy stuff. I even love to watch old comedy stuff. One that I like to watch that's a little bit of an older one, um, it's not like old, old, but a little bit older, is Seinfeld. The old TV show, Seinfeld. Love to watch some of the reruns of that. They make me laugh. They're just so just outright goofy sometimes. They, they, they give me you know deep, good chuckle in, inside. One of them that's specific that really makes me laugh is one where George, who's one of the main characters, George decides that everything he's done in life, life is wrong, and he needs to do the opposite. And the, the title of that one is The Opposite. That's the title of that episode. And so anything that he's done in the past... He's just going to do the opposite. He says, you know, I used to order uh, I used to order tuna on toast at lunch every day, go to the same cafe, and I order tuna on toast. He says, I'm doing the opposite. I'm going to order turkey on rye. For some reason, he's decided that that's the opposite of tuna on toast. So he decides to do that. He says, in the past, I normally would have hidden all of my insecurities, especially when I'm going to try to talk to a woman and maybe get a date, but I'm just going to let them out in the open. So right there in the cafe, he goes up to a strange woman. And he says, hi, my name is George. I'm unemployed and live with my parents. And it works. (laughs) She's like, hi, you know, I'm what And she introduces herself, you know, and he gets a date out of it. He goes on a job interview in that episode. And normally in a job interview, you'd be like, okay, you're trying to, you know, you know, have your best qualities, show your best attributes, you know, uh, talk about you know, how great you know, uh, the organization is that you're interviewing with. And he goes on a job interview for the Yankees. And instead of being kind, he berates the owner of the team. And he tells him how awful he is and how he can't believe how poorly he's run this organization, how much of an embarrassment he is to the city. And at the end, the owner goes, hire this man. And he gets the job. That whole episode is all about completely the opposite or upside down. Completely upside down from the normal. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about this idea of upside down. Being something that is completely different than what everyone else expects. And what I'm hoping is is that we will grasp this idea that that the upside down that I'm talking about will turn us into another U-word, an unstoppable force for Christ. That we will mirror what happened with the first church in the book of Acts. They were an absolute unstoppable force when it came to telling people about the difference that Jesus would make in their life and in their eternity. That's what that book is all about. The book of Acts is all about It's, it's right after Jesus was here on earth, right? He was born. He lived his life. He had his ministry. He was wrongfully convicted. He was crucified and died. And then he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And Acts is all about the what's next And what happened is his followers became this unstoppable force for Jesus, and not for something as trivial as what we see, you know, what I just mentioned there in Seinfeld, not for things like, you know, what they had for lunch or a date or a a job, that sort of thing. It was the idea of they became an unstoppable force when it came to sharing the hope of salvation and life that could be found in following the Son of God, in following Jesus. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or if you have digital, you can, you know, access that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And we're going to look at a brief little block of Scripture and talk about this idea of upside-down living. Now, we'll read this in just a second. Before we do, though, it's talking about Paul there. I want to kind of give you some background on this block of Scripture and, and Paul specifically. Now, Paul used to be called Saul. Before he started following Jesus, when he was, uh, when he was strong and fighting for uh, the Jewish religion, he was known as Saul, and he actually was, uh, he, he hated, he would torment Christians. Anyone who followed Jesus, he was all about ending them completely, literally ending their life. But then he has a transformational experience, and he becomes a follower of Jesus, and he preaches for Jesus, and he shares with everyone he can about Jesus. He goes on a trip called the, a missionary journey. And on that trip, he shares about Jesus. He comes back from that trip. He goes to Jerusalem. And they have this big thing it's, they call uh, the Council at Jerusalem. It's a gathering of leaders. And they're having a lot of debate over some things that they should do or things they shouldn't do. And at the end of that, he goes back out on his second missionary journey. And that's where Acts 17 is placed. Another thing you need to know about Paul that's really important is he is a bit of a chameleon in life he has this ability to adapt to his surroundings, to adapt to the culture and the people that he's relating with, that he's living with. He doesn't change his character. He doesn't change his belief structure. He doesn't change who Christ made him to be but he simply adapts his style so that he can meet the needs of those there. He can speak to them in a way that they will understand in hopes of the fact, he says, listen, I'll become anything I can to anyone I can so that more people will meet Jesus. He's willing to adapt. And that's what we find him doing here on this trip. He's heading to Thessalonica, which is in Europe. Uh, It's a strategic city. Uh, Thessalonica, it's it's got a a harbor. It's it's right on the water, so they have a lot of shipping. And it's also on the Roman Highway, so they have a lot of overland transportation. Because of that, Thessalonica is this incredible business city. Everyone is all about business. Making money, making money, making money. Run your business. Do very well. Make financial gains in life. Make yourself important because of business, business, business. Money, money, money. And that's kind of how this city works. Everything adds up. Everything makes sense. And this is the setting that Paul comes into. We read right right there at the beginning. It says, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. I know that's just a few words, but basically I just wanted to point that out. This is Paul's norm. It says this is custom. This is what he does. Because he is not about business matters. He is about spiritual matters. So he goes to the synagogue and he wants to be present there and he wants to have a chance to speak there and he wants to have influence there. It goes on and says and for three Sabbaths in a row He used the scripture to reason with the people. That word reason, I underlined that and kind of drew that out from the standpoint of helping us understand. This is Paul being a chameleon. This is him adapting to the culture that he's in. This is a business city. They are all about money. Everything has to add up for them. One plus one equals two. Two plus two two equals four. There is no room for emotion. In, in this city. That is not how anyone operates. They operate in matter of fact, and this is how it has to be. And so Paul decides, hey, since that's the type of city, this is a city of trade. This is, you know, the Roman highway, the the, the, the harbors, all that sort of thing. Everything needs to make sense in their mind. He decides that that's how it's going to work. I'm going to use reason in order to reach the people of this city. And so he decides to reason with them. We look at the very next verse, verse 3. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Now that sentence, we read that, and for us, in our, you know, looking at it, you know, looking at it in a historic perspective, we can read that and just kind of gloss over that and be like, okay, so explained it, and, you yeah, know, he asked to suffer and die, you know, that sort of thing. And we read that because we know the story of Jesus, and we have the benefit of the entire block of Scripture and reading it, and it can kind of just pass by really quick and not, you know, not really sit with us in any way. But I want you to understand how that sat with the people that he was speaking to. They did not like hearing this. They did not like this concept of the fact that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Rise from the dead meant this Messiah had to die. They did not like hearing this In any way whatsoever. Because this is not the Messiah they had pictured. They all knew what it said in the book of 2 Samuel. They knew that it said that that Messiah would come from the line of King David. From King David. See, their version of a Messiah, they were looking for a king. Kings don't die. Kings don't suffer. Kings don't have to go through horrible things. Kings reign supreme. And their image of a Messiah had morphed into this. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for a king. They're looking for a political giant. They're looking for someone who's willing to use force, even if it takes violence. Someone who is feared. Someone who is overpowering. They're looking for someone who has that kind of just presence, like, oh, they're going to intimidate everyone. And their image of a Messiah was less about the idea of someone who was going to restore relationship with God. And it was more about someone who was going to cast out their oppressors. It was more about winning than anything else. My way, doing things what I want. It was that kind of attitude that they had. And Paul says the Messiah must suffer, die, and then rise from the dead. Then, verse 3 still, it says, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Well, that tipped him over the edge. That took them from the point of where they're like, hey, I don't like hearing this too. They were just downright angry. They could not stand what he was saying. The reason they couldn't stand that is because of one of the things that I think we learn and one of the things that we grab out of this scripture. And this is something I would encourage you to write down or take a photo of what comes up here on the screen. It's it's a, a great lesson that we pick up out of this. Jesus was an upside down king. He was upside down. He was opposite. He was different than what anyone ever pictured as king. Kings were all about authority and power and ruling over someone else and intimidating. And Jesus was something completely different than any of that. He's the opposite of what they have in mind. He doesn't operate in threats. He doesn't operate in fear. He doesn't operate in power over someone or authority over someone. He's not muscling in and overthrowing something else. There's no politics, there's no diplomacy with him. He flips the pattern of leadership around and he turns the pattern of a king into the idea of serving, of suffering, of loss for the sake of others. Well, the people who are hearing that, the Jews did not like that and many of the Greeks and Romans who were there did not like that. We find because in verse 5, 6, and 7, look what it says. But some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. The anger's coming out, right? We, we see this all the time. Don't we see just like people just get angry? It's, it's all over the news. It'll drive you absolutely nuts. You just don't dwell on it, okay? Do not dwell on it. It'll drive you crazy because we see this all the time. But that's what's happening. It's not a right now thing. This is a mankind thing has gone on forever. They attacked the home of Jason searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. In other words, they intended to have some street justice, right? They're going to end this thing right now. It goes on, verse 6 says, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Here's what they say. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. And now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason, I can, I can just picture it, right, I can picture it right. They've got Jason and everybody's saying, I can sit picture they're, they're telling the city council, hey, they've caused this trouble. And Jason, I mean, they're pointing, they're blaming this guy. Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. They flat out could not stand the idea of this upside down king who is Jesus. This also points to another thing that we learn here. Jesus leads an upside down kingdom. He is an upside down king, but he also leads an upside down kingdom. He doesn't operate alone and say, this is how I function and this is what I do. He calls us to do exactly the behavior that he has modeled in life. Serve others, love others, care for others at the sake of our own loss. Again, they have this picture of what a king should be and what a kingdom should be. They've pictured the Messiah, how it's supposed to go, and this is not it. That verse that we just read a minute ago, the back half of verse 6, in the English Standard Version, it says this, it says it this way. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. It's using the very language. They're saying, man, it is upside down. It is opposite of what any of us expect. They recognize that this is a new way of thinking. This is a new way of acting, a new way of living, and they do not like it. They know this is an upside down king. They know this is an upside down kingdom, and it is a threat to the way that they think. This kingdom has some serious distinctions. I want to point out four of them. One, this kingdom has different trust. It places its trust in something completely different. The kingdom of this world trusts in the sword. The kingdom of this world trusts in strength. The kingdom of this world trusts in dominance, in power over. The kingdom of God trusts in the cross. And power is found under, it is found in being below, in being willing to be subservient. It's a different kind of trust. This kingdom has different desires. Different desires. The kingdom of this world, the desire is to preserve my will and my way of thinking and the things that I want and what I want to see happen. It focuses completely on oneself and it points inward entirely. The desires are about me. But the kingdom of God says, I'm going to carry out the will of God and what his desires, what he wants to see happen, what he thinks should be going on in life. And those are two completely opposite things. This kingdom also has different identity. The world has an identity that says, my identity is in in advancing my people, in advancing my group, in advancing my nation, my ethnicity, my state, my ideology, the things that I like. That's where I find my identity. But the kingdom of God says, I'm here to advance the love of Jesus for all people at all times, no matter who they are and where they live. It was said just a few minutes ago. Glenn, you're saying, did we not hit the jackpot living in this country? I could have just as easily been born to someone who lives in El Salvador and has absolutely nothing. My life would be completely different. Jesus loved me just the same. And we are too. We are called to do the same thing. Identity is found in Christ. Christ not in birthplace. This kingdom has a different response to life. The world says we pay back an eye for an eye. Someone harms you, you harm them right back. Someone says something wrong about you, you say something right back. Someone does something to you, you get revenge, you do it right back. Whatever it is, we just pay it back. The response needs to be immediately and right there. But the kingdom of God says turn the other cheek. We do not repay evil for evil. Can I tell you, that one's hard, isn't it? It sounds, I mean, many of these are hard. They sound so tough to try to pull off in my life. And I think, can I possibly do this? Yeah, I can. By Christ living in me. By his Holy Spirit living in me. But I've got to grab it. I've got to say, man, Things should be different. I should be living this upside-down kingdom. Guys, this is a spot that I think that we miss it so easily sometimes as Christians. I mean, if, if you're someone, you'd say, yeah, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. I want you to think about when you made that decision to follow Jesus. I think about when I did. And I think about the why. Why did I make that decision? I was grabbing on to the word Savior. As I process it now, that's what was happening. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. So I needed a savior to ensure that I didn't go to hell. Instead, I went to heaven. But this is where we miss it so many times as followers of Jesus. He is not just our savior. He is our Lord. Meaning our life should be different our desires, our response, our identity, all of those things should look different. Right now, upside down kingdom, where we put our trust, what our desires are, how we get our identity, how we respond to things in life, they should be completely different. The church that I attend, I attend a church named Cross Point in Anaheim. Our pastor, Brian, he he relays this all the time, and he uses the phrasing, he says to people, he says, you need to make sure that Jesus is the boss, the coach, and the CEO of your life. I like that phrasing, because I started thinking about those, and I was like, okay, boss, you know? I mean, if my boss asks me to do something, you know I'm going to get on it, you know? Because boss, I I intend to continue doing what I'm doing, and my boss says do it, so I'm going to do it. I think about coach, been a long time since I've had a coach. I think back to college playing basketball. I know some of you're like, "No, that's not possible." Yes, I did play basketball in college. Anyway, um at this size and all that sort of thing. Well, I was a few pounds lighter. Um but uh I remember playing and uh, I was a, I was a point guard and um I'm a, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a type A take control uh of the room kind of person. That's just kind of um it's my wife's pain of existence, anyway, um, to to be married to me that way. Anyway, that's who I am, and so we would have practice all the time, and I remember I would be dribbling the ball up the court, and the coach is trying to give instructions, and I would just take over the team, and he would blow the whistle, and he would, and I would look at him, and he would just look at me and go, take a lap, Gardner, and I would take a lap and start running. It happens so often that all my friends joke that my first name was no longer Troy, my first name was now take a lap. Your name is Take-A-Lap Gardner. That's, you know, your first name was Take-A-Lap, last name was Gardner. It got to the point even it was so bad, he would blow the whistle and sometimes he wouldn't say it, he'd just point. <laughs> Take-A-Lap and run. And I would because he's the coach, right? He calls the shots and he sets the direction. Lord. CEO. I tried to think about that one. If Franklin Graham, who is, he's the CEO of Samaritan's Purse, shows up in my office and I'm working on the computer... And he sits down and he wants to talk to me. Do you think I'm going to turn to him and go, Look, Franklin, I'm really busy. Glenn has sent me a whole bunch of requests today. <laughs> i got to take care of them. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. No, I'm going I'm to turn and give him the proper response, the proper attention. The upside-down kingdom that Paul is teaching about with the Messiah... It's saying, Jesus is not just my Savior. He is my Lord. He sets the direction for the things that I do, for everything that I do. He leads me. His instructions are what I follow, and I follow those right now in life. And part of that, too, is this. I would just say, we get, oh man, the phrase eternal life. We talked about, you know, uh, coming to Christ, I receive eternal life. Eternal life is one of those things that, when, when does eternal life end? It doesn't, right? Right. And we grasp that, and we think about, okay, eternal life. We start thinking about heaven. We start thinking about the Savior thing. But you know what? You know what eternal is? Right now. (laughs) I have life right now, and so my life right now should be different. That is an upside-down kingdom. And the reason that is upside-down is because our world doesn't operate in a way that gives over surrender to anyone else. Our world says, I'm in charge of my life. I get to decide what I want to do. Little kids learn it early on, right? You ever heard a kid say, you're not the boss of me. Right? We learn early on, deciding who's in charge. Upside down kingdom says, Christ is in charge of me. He sets direction for everything I do. Everything I don't do. Everything I say, everything I don't say. One more lesson and one more thought for today is since Jesus is an upside-down king and he leads an upside-down kingdom, we should be an upside-down church. We should be completely different than what anyone else expects us. I've only been here a couple of times. I've got a really good feel, though. I love coming here. I enjoy it. I mean, I drove through... You know, ice and snow, I got here. I managed to make the California guy, made it, yeah. You know, I enjoy and I love being here. I don't think this church suffers from that, but it's real easy for a church to turn into, well, it's just a nice place for us to hang out together and feel good about ourselves on Sunday. An upside-down church says, no, 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 no. That's not what we're about. We're about following our upside-down king and his upside-down kingdom. I can look a different way in a lot of churches. I'd like to suggest one way that that, one thing that that can look about. And I want to look at the words of Ma- uh, that uh, Jesus said. Matthew recorded it in uh, Matthew chapter 20. Uh, this is one of, the, uh, one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. Do you guys realize how incredible this is? We, we are so blessed, not only where we live, but the time that we live in, that we have Scripture, uh, and we have this ability to look at yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four? biographies of the life of Jesus, the Gospels, the good news. God inspired them, but he did it in a way that he didn't remove the personalization of each author, their style, and who they were writing to. So we get this really amazing perspective of the life of Jesus. And Matthew, who was one of his closest followers, wrote this down. It says, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Doesn't that sound like what the world operates? Doesn't that sound like how everybody tries to operate when they're saying, oh, we're going to be important. Look at me, I'm important. You know, I've got power, I've got authority. And they just lord it over everyone. And we witness that constantly in society. Verse 26. But among you, It will be different. I have a hard time finding seven words that have a lot more power than that. (laughs) It's going to be different. The world flexes its muscle. It flexes its authority. It elevates itself and keeps itself in charge. But an upside-down church that's wanting to be an unstoppable force for Christ does something completely different. Let's read all of verse 26 and all the way even through 28. Let's read this. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And then like the home run sentence of it all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In a world that's focused on self, it's focused on authority and power and look at me and focus on me and look how important I am and serve me. And doesn't doesn't social media and all that just feed all that. Just look at me, look at me, look at me. In that world, we choose to serve others just as Christ did because we're going to be an upside down church. See, I, I want you to catch this. This is so important. Culture will teach us; it will tell us that if you are being served, then you are important. If you are being served, you're going to have some ful- fulfillment in life. You matter. You're go- that's that means there's purpose to your life. That means you really count. But the problem is, being served doesn't deliver. It doesn't. It can't measure up. But when we serve others, we find that true value. We find joy, we find fulfillment, we find purpose. I would phrase it this way. Serving delivers on what being served promises. When we say, I'm going to serve the needs of others, we experience all the things that being served promises that we should experience and can't deliver on. Because we're finally saying, We are an upside-down church. I am an upside-down person in my life because I am following an upside-down king who's leading an upside-down kingdom, something completely different than what the world teaches. We live opposite. We live different. We live to serve. What do you do with this? Because it's easy to hear this. It's easy to read this block of Scripture and say, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I'm going to be a servant. And then we leave and we head out of here and we go and we have lunch, and we just kind of go on with our day. What do we do with it? Well, I'm going to give you two really fast ideas. And actually, they're going to tie to something that I said here when I preached two years ago. They're actually just a different verbiage of pretty much the exact same thing. I invite you, first of all, to get random. Get random. Meaning, say, God, I am going to... I am going to watch for those random things that you are going to drop in my life when it is an opportunity for me to serve the needs of others because I know that that's exactly what Christ would do. When Christ was ministering as he came upon any situation and there was a need, he hadn't planned that out ahead of time. Yes, he was the Lord and he could see ahead, but he hadn't planned and worked like, oh, I need to do this, then I need to do this. No, he just, he answered the need that was in front of him and we have to decide I'm going to be random. I'm going to go ahead and say, God I'm going to be available to do that random thing that jumps up in front of me when it's someone that I see at the grocery store or I'm at the gas station or uh, or this afternoon when I'm driving down 34 and there's some guy on the side of the road from California who can't drive in the snow and he's trying to get back to Denver not saying that's me anyway, I'm going to try to help You know, I'm going to step in, I'm going to help someone I get that in in a rural setting, there's, there's kind of a little bit of culture that already says, help your neighbor. But what if we just said, we're going to step that up. Anytime God, anytime God puts something in front of me, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to jump in and serve the needs of others. But the second idea would be, get intentional. Intentionally decide, here's an area that I am going to serve intentionally decide here at the church, this is an area I'm going to serve some fellow believers. Here at a local school that they've got a need, there's so many, every school I've ever ever talked to, every leader in every school I've ever talked to, uh, the principal's like, yeah, we got stuff that we just need to get done. We just don't have enough people to get it done. What if you said, I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to serve those people at that school or something in in the community that's going on. I'm going to intentionally decide that that's the area that I'm going to serve a need and I'm going to care for someone because I'm going to go the opposite of what Society and what culture teaches that says, it's all about me, focus on me. I'm going to be served. Nope. We're upside down. We're going to be an upside down church, which will turn us into an unstoppable force. And more and more people will hear about Christ simply because we're willing to serve others. That's the mode we operate in under at Samaritan's Purse. It really is. We try to do the two things that I just talked about. We have things that we intentionally choose to do. Operation Hero, Our Patriots. We talked about that. That's an intentional. We choose that every year. Random. War breaks out. COVID happens. A hurricane happens. We answer the random. We've decided that we're going to use the chance to serve others, particularly in times of need. Now, I would invite you into this when people are going through chaos or change, they are more open to spiritual conversations than in any other time in life. And if you say, God, I'm going to get random and I'm going to get intentional and I'm going to step into those seasons, those points that someone has in life, they are going to be more open to spiritual conversations than ever before. And what will happen is, is you'll find yourself introducing someone to Jesus who will change their now and we'll change there forever. It's upside down. It's opposite. Let's do it together. Why don't we pray? God, you know I'm good at this at some times, and other times I am not. Help me to be better. Help me to turn back to Lord that you are in charge of now. That I will continually, continually step in and function as your son would in the situation to love others, to serve others, to care for others. God, I, I want to be like that. I really do. And like I said, good sometimes, not others. Help me be more and more of that. My prayer is that that would happen for everyone here. Those in the room listening, those that aren't listening to this online, Lord. And that people would say, man, something is happening out at New Life because all those people are just constantly taking care of other people. And that more people would meet you and meet your son because of it. Help that to happen, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.